Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the latest at the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations with the stadium tragedy overshadowing what's been an exciting tournament so far. As well as finding out what caused the stadium disaster, we look ahead to the quarterfinals with the Gambia among the surprise teams. And we look at Nigeria's early exit and talk to defender Tyrone Ebuehi. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing. I think everybody expected more, especially after what we uh, showed in the group stage. That's coming later, plus lots on the English Premier League with Stewart. But let's start with Monday's stadium tragedy in Yaoundé, where eight people died in a stampede and a crush at one of the gates at the Olembe Stadium. Among those who lost their lives, a six-year-old and a 14-year-old. The Confederation of African Football President Patrice Motsepe says that CAF takes collective responsibility with the local organising committee for the tragedy. Now, the key issue is that one of the entrance gates was closed, leading to the crush at the other gate. Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO was at the match doing commentary. He was already inside at the time of the disaster. He explained more to us. 30 to 40 minutes before the game, that gate was closed. Now, it's important to mention that when you're getting to the Olympic Stadium, there are two major entrances. There's uh, the presidential entrance which is also used by the media on days the president is not coming to the stadium and then there is an avenue that's used by the fans on a normal day this avenue is expected to contain all of them and usually this avenue is expected to serve the south entrance the east entrance and part of the west entrance except that the east entrance is closed the west entrance is reserved for the vips the media and the other CAF officials, which leaves the fans with just the south entrance to get into the stadium. Now, the gates that were supposed to be open at that period were closed, and some officials, as I've been told by some of the uh, 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 persons who witnessed it, was someone told the crowd there that the gates will be closed in five minutes, and that fans could only getting at half time. On the south gate, you have several gates. It's an entrance. Just one of those gates was opened. And with close to five, 6,000 fans around that gate, they were pushing those in front. And that's how the first people collapsed on the, uh, the gate that gave way. And people were, were trampling on them. The major questions, especially from the press conference of the CAF president is, why was that gate closed at that period? Why didn't we have an security around there? And why uh, were the fans not properly channeled into the stadium? That's Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO. Our condolences to the families and friends of those who lost loved ones in that stadium tragedy. Uh, so, Ida, it happened on Monday and it's uh, really beginning to sink in now. It's a horrible, horrible situation, Steve. I mean, so many questions, and unfortunately, we might not get the answers. So, yes, this definitely falls on the local organizing committee. It falls on CAF. It should be a shared responsibility. Will we see, however, 
action on those responsible. Now, Steve, this will sound cynical, but personally, I'm not holding my breath. Should the games after, immediately after have been postponed, you know, in light of the fact that people died in Olembe on Monday, everyone has their opinion on that. It's differing. But Steve, at the end of the day, children, women, men lost their lives. Well, uh, Sunday's quarterfinal between Egypt and Morocco, that was supposed to be at Olembe. It's since been moved to a different stadium. But at the end of the day, we do need to see more from CAF on this matter. Yeah, thanks, Ida. So, so sad. And uh, this really was shaping up to be one of the most exciting editions of the Africa Cup of Nations ever, uh, with some thrilling upsets and some really, really great contests. We're at the quarterfinal stage now then, and on Saturday, the Gambia play Cameroon, Burkina Faso take on Tunisia. On Sunday, it's a real heavyweight clash, Egypt facing Morocco, and Senegal take on Equatorial Guinea. Uh, Let's focus on the Gambia's amazing run, their first ever Nations Cup, and through to the quarterfinals. Here's their coach, the Belgian, Tom Saint-Feet. Now we are in the quarterfinal. Uh, we keep on dreaming. And actually, if you play quarterfinal, you want to win also. I mean, we never played to lose. And uh, we will prepare. Lucky that we have now a few days to recover. Um, and that's amazing. And uh, we're going to, on Saturday the 29th, we're going to play with all we can. So that's the Gambia coach, Tom Saint-Feet. So, Ida, can the Gambia continue this amazing run? Steve, why not? And I mean, of course, Cameroon are the favorites here, no doubt. And this may be quite idealistic of me, but the Gambia do stand a chance here. Look, I personally think that we've already seen crazier things happen at this Nations Cup, you know, than a debutant ranked 150th in the world beating a five-time champion, you know, though that's a story for another day. What's particularly interesting is that these two sides have completely different approaches to the game. Now, Cameroon rely on offense, while the Gambia are a largely defensive side. Gambia actually haven't managed more than one goal per game so far. In their four games, they've scored a total of four goals, but impressively, they've only conceded one. Now, that was the one against uh, Mali back in the group stage. Now, quite to the contrary, Cameroon haven't kept a single clean sheet, but they've scored nine in their last four games. That's absolutely incredible. Now, close to 70% of those goals, of course, go to one man, Vincent Abubakar, the tournament's top scorer, uh, national record holder now. And I am sure that Gambia will be more than wary of him. But the Gambians will also be buoyed by Comoros' performance. I mean, wouldn't you say, Steve? For a team that was so depleted to do so well against the indomitable Lions, I would imagine this definitely encouraged their next opponents. Although home support might be a big, big dynamic for Cameroon. I mean, we will wait to see exactly how the country bounces back from Monday's tragedy. But this quarterfinal might be the most well-attended game yet. Steve, I'm sure a few weeks ago, before kickoff in Cameroon, had you asked people if they thought the Gambia would beat a team like Tunisia, let's say, many would have been in doubt. Had you asked if they thought, you know, that Gambia could make it to the round of 16, let alone the quarterfinals, even more doubt. Yet here we are. 
So why shouldn't the Gambians continue dreaming, you know? It might just come true. You never know. And if it doesn't, then what a tournament for them. I mean, they go home with their heads held quite, quite high. Uh, absolutely. Whatever happens on Saturday, an incredible tournament for the Scorpions. Should say a big well done to listeners in Malawi as well, as the Flames reach the round of 16 for the first time in their history at their third appearance at the Nations Cup. And uh, one of the great goals of the tournament coming from Gabardino Mango, although they did lose 2-1 to Morocco, but also put up a great, great showing there. Now, on the other hand, we saw a big upset last Sunday as Nigeria lost 1-0 to Tunisia, despite the Super Eagles having won all three of their group games. Now, Tunisia had only finished third in their group, but Youssef Msakni scored early in the second half. Alex Iwobi was sent off in the 66th minute for the Super Eagles, and the Carthage Eagles controlled the game in general. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji spoke to Nigeria defender Tyrone Ebuehi. Personally, uh, of course, I'm happy that I made my AFCON debut, uh, especially because I missed out on the last one because of injury. So personally, yeah, of course, I was, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, it's a special moment, not only for me, but also for my family. But of course, if you look at uh, the whole picture and also in team perspective, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. I think everybody expected more, especially after what we... Uh, showed in the group stage, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing. But what are the positives you think your team can take away from this tournament? I think especially the group stage. I think we performed so well. Uh, we showed a good fight, good spirit, but uh, it wasn't enough, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we cannot turn the time back anymore. We have to look forward, and uh, now is the World Cup qualifier that's coming up. So that's the that's the thing that we have to focus on now. And talking about the World Cup qualifying, I mean, everyone says the focus should shift to that. Yourself, you just admitted that now. But how tough is it for the players mentally, knowing that the fans are now more demanding than ever before? I think, of course, a day. Uh, you're asking me this a day after the game. Uh, now it's maybe a little bit hard, but uh, soon everybody will return back to their clubs. Uh, and play games there so I think with time everything will be uh, everybody will be ready again for uh, for the qualifiers against uh, against Ghana I'm, I'm sure of that what does playing for Nigeria represent for you I mean you, you you're born in the Netherlands you grew up in the Netherlands but what is representing that nation with so much you know vociferous fans demanding and also supporting Playing for for your country is, is always a special feeling. Uh, yeah, okay, I was born in Holland, but it doesn't change the fact that my dad's from Nigeria. I mean, he's uh, one of the most important people in my life, you know. So together with my mom, and for me, it's so many people in the country supporting you, uh, sending you messages every day. Um, when we are playing, everybody is together in uh, in, uh, in Nigeria. So. It's a, it's a very special feeling every time uh, when I'm, uh, I'm on the pitch and representing my country. So it's a feeling that, I mean, every, every football player should experience but doesn't get the chance. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, that's Nigeria defender Tyrone Ebuehi on their disappointing round of 16 exit. 
So now in March, Nigeria will play Ghana home and away in a World Cup qualifying playoff, with both teams having gone out early at the Africa Cup of Nations. Ghana exiting in the group stage with only one point. It's such a huge tie. The winner goes to the World Cup finals, and they need to regain their focus now, Ida. They really do, Steve. Ghana had. An absolutely horrendous tournament, you know, but I'm sure that Nigeria as well really didn't see themselves exiting the tournament so quickly and especially in light of that fantastic group stage performance. Now, it's all about regrouping. It's all about looking ahead. Uh, both teams will be doing it under new coaches. I mean, Super Eagles interim coach Egwavon, who was in charge of Nigeria for the Afghan, has since left. Uh, has been said to go back to his technical director role. There were rumors of a Portuguese taking over, Pesero, I believe, but no confirmation as yet from the NFF. And uh, Ghana as well did let go of Ryavach, who was in charge of the Black Stars, of course, during the Nations Cup. And indeed, Steve, not just Nigeria and Ghana, who need to look ahead and uh, strategize, but for Algeria and Mali as well, you know, who have already exited the Afghan, but do have plans for the World Cup playoffs. Steve, football can be as cruel as it can be beautiful. I mean, some teams did brilliantly in the Nations Cup, but won't even feature in the playoffs. You know, we're talking the likes of Ivory Coast, the likes of Comoros, Malawi, for example, such brave efforts that were sometimes just decided on luck. But hey, that's football, isn't it? It certainly is. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as Watford have 16 managers in 10 years. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime. Uh, to get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And a reminder that as Passion for Sport, we're bringing you a daily show on the AFCON. It's called Cameroon Roars. You can listen on various radio stations and also online and on our app too. That's Cameroon Roars every day throughout the Africa Cup of Nations. And out of social media, we're posting a question every day on our social media pages throughout the tournament. Uh, let's pick out some of the comments. Uh, lots of happy fans in the Gambia as they're through to the quarterfinals. Mombadou Cham saying the Gambia will win. Also, Julanding Jane among those with the same sentiments. Also, we asked, was it fair for the Comoros to play without a registered goalkeeper as they went down 2-1 to Cameroon on Monday with 12 players unavailable after testing positive for COVID and with all of their goalkeepers unavailable? Uh, two tested positive, the other keeper was injured. They had to use a defender in goal who did outstandingly well. Well, Nuhum Bagayoko in Mali says, Hey, Steve, I think it's not fair to play a match without a registered goalkeeper. And again, 12 players are down with COVID-19. I think CAF should have postponed this match. Uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says it is fair for them to play the game because that's the rules of the tournament and it applies to all of the teams at the tournament. Uh, Bernard Torotic in Kenya says this is to ensure that Cameroon goes through and Amat Lowe in the Gambia says something's wrong with this AFCON. It's always in favour of Cameroon. Uh, thanks for your thoughts there. Also, we had a voice note from Sambu One in the Gambia. They should have said if we have 11 fit players, including at least one goalkeeper, 
you should have played the game. But this is very, very unfair to Comoros. The way I'm seeing this AFCON, I have not seen or heard any Cameroonian player who is tested positive for COVID-19. I think there is a foul play somewhere else as far as I am concerned. Thanks there to Sambu Wan. That's an opinion we've heard from several fans that the COVID testing has favoured Cameroon and also views that some of the referees were biased against the small teams. Uh, we must say there's no concrete evidence that we can give, but Sambu Wan saying what others also feel as well. Thanks for those comments. Do follow us on social media for daily discussions on the Africa Cup of Nations. Lots of news and updates there too. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and on Twitter, we're at Planet Sport FA. Also, you can WhatsApp your comments on the AFCON on any issue at any time to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now, one feature of this edition of the Africa Cup of Nations is how some of the smaller teams have done so well, while some of the big-name players have not performed as well as expected. With a look at how ordinary teams can beat the superstars, here's Ephraim Tagu. There are many ways to win a football match, and for a number of the sides competing in this year's Africa Cup of Nations tournament, the expectation has been that their superstars will swing each game in their favour. Yet... As the tournament has progressed, it's become clear it's not as simple as that. Defending champions Algeria didn't make it out of the group stages, despite having stellar talents such as Manchester City's Riyad Mahrez and West Ham's Said Benrahma. Gabon's hopes were pinned on Arsenal striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but he played no part. And the traditionally fancied Nigeria were unexpectedly knocked out in the round of 16 by Tunisia. Despite fielding an array of big names uh, such as Wilfred Ndidi and Kelechi and Nacho, both of Leicester City and Everton's Alex Iwobi. Yes, superstar players can sometimes deliver a piece of brilliance uh, that uh, provides a goal that can make the difference. But the pressure to perform on the world stage is intense and they don't always reach the high standards expected of them. And sometimes a team can end up being unbalanced. Instead, the tournament so far has shown that less fancied nations can spring a few surprises of their own. Newcomers, Comoros, won many admirers with their progress out of the group stage and a thrilling performance against Cameroon in the round of 16. They were forced to field an outfit player in goal after losing all their keepers to COVID-positive tests or injury and played most of the match with 10 men after losing their skipper early on to a red card, yet Cameroon struggled to win 2-1 after an heroic performance from their opponents. Now, the Gambia have exceeded expectations in progressing far into the tournament and were inspired by their coach Tom Seinfeld's words before the game to become heroes, which the Scorpions did with an impressive win over Guinea. And Cape Verde have impressed many by getting out of the group stage and making their supporters back home proud. All of these have used one very important approach at the heart of their success. Teamwork. Teamwork means every player pulls their weight. Each one knows their job in how the team play and supports every other player. No one is greater than any other, and the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. In many sports, teamwork and the desire to win can often triumph over greater skill and talent. It's the same in life, where people, 
made in the image of God can achieve much more when they work together and support one another. We are created for community. Followers of Jesus are called to unity and mutual support as the Apostle Paul reminds the Church of Philippi, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. It's well worth remembering in a world where so many long to be superstars that ordinary men and women working together can achieve extraordinary things. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu there. And you can read this blog on our website. That's planetsport.tv. And you click on the blog section at the top on the right. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, no English Premier League games this weekend. Uh, lots to talk about, though. And with Manchester City dropping points last weekend, is there a glimmer of hope for Liverpool, Stuart, and uh, maybe even Chelsea? So as we go into this kind of little break, uh, the league table currently shows Manchester City nine points clear of Liverpool, although Liverpool have a game in hand, and Chelsea third. But City had to come from behind to salvage a draw away to Southampton, ending that amazing run of 12 wins in a row. And City's equaliser was a header from Laporte, and that's their tenth goal from a set-piece this season. Liverpool... I suppose kept the pressure on them by winning away to Crystal Palace in a game of some controversy. Virgil van Dijk gave the Reds the lead. Alec Oxlade-Chamberlain scored a second. But Bobby Firmino was in an offside position and tried to head the cross before it reached Chamberlain. But because he didn't touch the ball, he was technically therefore not offside. But I think many people feel that a striker trying to touch a ball is active, and is distracting the defence, and that the goal should not have been allowed. Palace scored to make it 2-1, and had chances to equalise. But then Jota collided with the Palace goalkeeper. The referee initially awarded a goal kick, but then was advised by VAR that he ought to have a look at the monitor. He awarded a penalty, and that was 3-1 to Liverpool, game over. One pundit said this was the worst ever decision, and there was pretty much unanimous agreement that it was simply a collision between two players, and if anything, the forward was at fault. Patrick Vieira, Palace's Senegalese-born manager, was incensed, saying, look, we have all these meetings with referees, we're told that contact is not necessarily a foul, and then this decision. Former Tottenham and England player German Jenas, who, in my opinion, is one of the most articulate and thoughtful pundits, said referees seem to have lost control of the game and, more importantly, have lost all confidence of managers. Chelsea beat Tottenham 2-0 to end the sequence of four league games without a win, but again there was a bit of controversy in that game. Harry Kane put the ball in the net for Tottenham, but after touching... Thiago Silva in the back, not much contact, but enough for Silva to go down and for the referee to disallow the goal. And one of Chelsea's goals was scored by Hakim Ziyech, not required by Morocco for the AFCON, but scoring one of the goals of the season. Hitting a shot from outside the box, which he aimed well outside the far post, bending it in beautifully. A really great goal. Manchester United moved into fourth place with a 1-0 win over West Ham United. 
Substitute Marcus Rashford scored the winning goal well at the stoppage time. Rashford tweeted, Fergie time. You know, a long, lifelong fan of United, Rashford well remembers his club's propensity for late goals in the days of Alex Ferguson. Rashford's goal was set up by Anthony Martial and Edison Cavani, and it will be the last one for a while from Martial because he's going on loan to Seville. Two other things to note about Rashford's goal. It's the fourth time that Marcus Rashford has scored a winning goal beyond 90 minutes, more than any other player in the history of the Premier League. It was also the eighth goal scored by a Manchester United substitute this season. Some astute player replacements there. But for poor old West Ham manager David Moyes, it was the 15th time he's taken the team to play at Old Trafford and he's yet to get a win. So, to sum up, Manchester City, nine points ahead, and I think it'll be a struggle for anyone to catch them. Well, it really was like the Manchester United of a few years ago with that stoppage time winner. And uh, in the relegation battle, who would have thought it? Uh, Norwich have back-to-back wins and are now out of the bottom three. Yeah, Norwich went to Watford and won, and as you say, lifting them not only above Watford, but out of the bottom three. The immediate response of the Watford owner, Gino Pozzo, was to fire manager Claudio Ranieri, um, whom he had appointed last October. After 14 games, in which Watford only won twice, he's out. Now, Pozzo has owned Watford for 10 years, and the next manager appointed will be the 16th manager in 10 years. Ranieri famously won the league with Leicester City, but then was fired the following year. He had a season with Fulham, only lasting 17 games there. Ranieri is 70 and four years younger than his replacement, Roy Hodgson. And Hodgson had accepted the 22nd managerial job in a career lasting 47 years and taken him to eight countries. Hodgson's strength is said to be organisation and he seems to work best just below the elite level. And so his experience of keeping clubs in the Premier League may be exactly what is needed at Watford. And it certainly worked at Crystal Palace and Fulham, and he was also at West Brom. Burnley drew nil-nil with Arsenal, having not played for three weeks. Burnley are still bottoms of the table, but they have games in hand and all the clubs above them. But they desperately need a replacement for Chris Wood, the striker who's gone to Newcastle United. Wood scored 49 goals for Burnley in his five years at the club, so they'll certainly miss the goals. Now, Newcastle pulled off an excellent win at Leeds United when the home club's goalkeeper, Ilian Messier, allowed John Jules Shelby's free kick to go under his dive and into the net. Now, I would say that relegation still looks to be any three from Norwich, Newcastle, Watford and Burnley. But Everton, still without a manager after firing uh, Benitez, lost again at the weekend and are only three points above Norwich. So really, it's quite tight at the bottom. Indeed, it's going to be a close race there. And what else have you got for us, Stuart? Well, it was good to see Patson Daka from Zambia scoring again for Leicester City. That's two goals in two games during the AFCON, taking his opportunity to play well. 
In fact, Daka has scored in the last three games that he started and he's got four Premier League goals and five Europa League goals for Leicester City this season. Not a bad record at all. Now, last Saturday's game was Leicester City 1, Brighton 1. No surprise, as that was the 12th draw of the season for Brighton. It was also the sixth time this season that Brighton have been 1-0 down with less than 10 minutes to go and they've found a late equaliser for a 1-1 draw. Brighton are ninth in the table. If only they had turned some of those 12 draws into wins, they could have been a lot higher. Incidentally, Steve, uh, Brighton were managed on the day by Bjorn Hamburg because not only manager Graham Potter but also assistant Billy Reid were absent with COVID. Finally, poor old Thomas Party has had better weeks. Uh, Thursday of last week, about midday, he arrived back in London, having seen Ghana knocked out of the AFCON. He was immediately put on the bench for Arsenal for the semi-final of the League Cup. After 74 minutes, he came off the bench. 87 minutes, and he's shown a yellow card for a foul. And two minutes later... He lunges into a tackle and the referee produces a second yellow and a red. And with Liverpool winning the game, Thomas Partey found himself not only with a red card, but eliminated from two competitions in one week. Well, that's unfortunate indeed. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. Before we go, a reminder about our daily show on the Africa Cup of Nations. It's called Cameroon Roars. Uh, you can listen on various stations around Africa and beyond and also online and on our app. And to download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.